You are listening to the Mom and Dad Podcast. A podcast about balance, growth, and navigating through your 20s and 30s. All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Mom and Dad Podcast. So today we have another interview and we love doing interviews because, I don't know, this might, we might majority of the time do interviews because I feel like there's just a special insight that and just perspective on different people's lives that I think can just be really valuable to hear. Yeah and even if we do different topics every week without an interview it's still coming from the lens that we see life through and so there's only so many unique insights that we can give about something and I really I'm really loving these interviews um, specifically because they're coming from people who I have known for a long time and I've never gotten the chance to really understand their their stories the way that that we can in this format. This one was with Karsten Howder, who was actually the missionary who taught me about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 10 years ago. And since then, he's done a lot of really interesting things. He's taken a very unique path with his life including living in Afghanistan and Abu Dhabi for Abu Dhabi, sorry, pronounced it wrong, but for five years total and traveling and working with the USO. So a lot of really, really interesting perspectives on, you know, living through his 20s and taking, you know, a path less traveled. So I think it's it's very valuable for anyone that is maybe not fitting into the exact mold of, you know, go to college, get a secure job, so on and so forth. So yeah, we're really excited for you guys to hear this interview with Karsten, and let's get into it. So how did you guys meet? (laughs) Well, I met Justin as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and Justin was learning about the church and he was already being taught by missionaries before me. So when I arrived in Gresham, when I was transferred there was when I met Justin. I'm pretty sure it was at the Johnson's house. Yes, it was. I don't think I've ever heard this story before, like details. About which uh, part of it, how we met? Just Yeah, just like how you met. And- well, well, first of all, now it's been like, now it's been like 10 years. Oh, time flies. So <laughs> that is going to make it a little rusty. But I don't know. For me, you know, it, it is as simple as meeting him wasn't like, you know, this unique situation. I didn't find him on the street or anything. He was already being caught. But yeah, I just remember in meeting you, Justin, that it was very apparent very quickly that you were just a very sincere person, that you were just trying to to figure life out and be real. And, and that was a very challenging thing, uh, I think, to be studying about another faith in coming from a Catholic home with, with a strong family, not, not like a weak family. You had a beautiful, strong family. And yet here you were exploring another religion and doing that alone, I think, was a very courageous thing. And, and it was very apparent that you were doing it uh, sincerely and that you weren't rushing into anything and that with the foundation of faith that you already had that you were just searching for truth and so that that was just my first impression was justin as a sincere person and that was being serious about learning about the gospel and meeting with missionaries yeah 
And you baptized him? I Is asked right? him to baptize him. Um, Brock Johnson baptized Justin. Oh, okay. Wait, what's the story there? <laughs> it's not really a story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just said, hey, well, will I mean, you baptize me? And he the, said, you know, you asked Brock. As, <laughs> okay, when you're a... Well, okay. It, you know, there would have been nothing more of an honor than for me to baptize Justin. That would have been <laughs> awesome. Uh, but as... As a missionary, you your focus is on just the long-term spiritual, emotional health of you know anybody and, and the balance. And so when somebody comes into the church, they sure need the spiritual growth, but they also need continued strength with members because missionaries come and go. And so a focus for missionaries is, okay, well, how can you also help support those groups? growing relationships. And so in my heart and mind, I was like, okay, well, you know, Brock shared a book of Mormon with Justin in his younger years. And Brock had these, you know, missionary efforts and the, the gospel was being taught in his home. And so I, I did, I prevailed on Justin to, to, that was, to that was the right, uh, that was the right call. <laughs> and I think I understood that at, at the time. Um. So what was your, I mean, what was yes. your thoughts meeting me? With yeah. So my thoughts were that the, the, the missionaries previous to you were very serious and you were not serious, but you had a good balance. Like the, the Brock example was a good balance of you didn't let, like, I feel like a missionary who was less mature would have been totally fine with being the one to baptize me. But you balanced sort of your, you didn't take what you were, you, you took what you were doing completely seriously while at the same time not acting overly seriously, if that makes sense. And I always, I don't know, I think that's probably why I, I don't know, maybe I clicked with you more than I had with the others because you were, you were, you just had a good balance with that, not being silly, but also not taking everything so seriously. I think it just let me, I don't know, maybe open up a little bit more than I had been able to with the others who were more like all business and not you do really. this then you do this and this. They, they just, I, I mean, I had good relationships with them too, but it was very much more, it was less of like a friendship. It was more of like a, like they were like teachers at a school almost like a little bit more of a, kept a little bit more of a personal barrier between the relationship <laughs> But I mean, you and I, we had, we got, we got along really well. And then you got along really well with my parents too, which I don't think anyone else had really been able to get like to, to make friends with my family. And so I thought that was cool too. <laughs> you, you know, I think that, um, okay. So in, in high school chemistry, I did terribly, but I, you know, what I took away from it was the periodic table and how the elements on the periodic table how they're all different and how they have these different reactions with each other. And in high school, I loved psychology and I went on later to study psychology at BYU-Idaho. And what I took away from chemistry class was that those elements on the table, and I can remember gold, AU, it's gold. So I, I can remember that how they, you know, had these different reactions. I was just like, people are like elements on the periodic table because, <laughs> because, you know, people have these different reactions together. You know, 
you marry one person or not even say marry, you date one person, you have these unique products that come from that relationship. You date somebody else and you have a different reaction. You have different products that come from the relationship. Maybe this relationship is productive and fun. Maybe this one is super um, just understanding of each other and there's just different products. And so it's not that one or another is wrong or right. They're different and they have different products and some are more balanced and functional. You know, the dynamic that you're talking about was that it was a good fit and there was just good connection. And I think that's part of the beauty of the missionary program and of missionaries being sent around the world and how transfers happen that, you know, a new missionary comes to an area and it's a different thing because mm-hmm. this is a different person who's a unique individual and they're going to have different ac- interactions with other people. And so uh, the gospel and the way that the gospel is spread does allow for unique connections to happen. And, and it's okay that there are, that sometimes some things are really good fit and, you know, there's people that are just that connect and that's, I think that's cool. Yeah. No, I like yeah, that. I've never thought of it that way. No, it's, it's definitely an inspired program to not have missionaries anywhere for too long so that, that, that can happen. The Peace Corps is like that for the record. Like somebody goes and they get into the Peace Corps and they are um, assigned to a specific host. Uh, they're with their host family, but then they are assigned to a, a site and they are there for two years and they don't have a companion. So I know that for me as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ, that I experienced tons of hard times and fatigue. And uh, I just can't imagine having not had a companion and having been in the same place because it's like you can get into a rut. And if there's nobody else to support you and getting out of it and you're not changing your area, it can just be hard. So so the church's program for mission is unique and it's just unique and it totally works in an interesting way anyway the other things that i remember about you justin uh was just you know it was just inspiring honestly as you approached the gospel with authenticity and we're doing the work that missionaries want somebody who's learning to do you were doing those steps and as a missionary it was beautiful to see how how god responded to that and how it uh how your journey was reciprocated with beauty of what you were putting into it. So your faith was met and um, it was just beautiful. So that was my memory of Justin was just this, this person who was authentically and seriously looking at life and serious things and applying that towards faith and then God's interactions. And it, yeah, it was just a beauty being able to be there as a missionary and see such awesome things. So it was, yeah, it was a, Looking Me back, too. it was always a, a fun, I don't know, it's just the coming to the church is just a, an, an experience that's unlike any other. Yeah, it's really cool memories. So after your mission, um, upon getting home, what were your plans? And where are you from? Uh, my dad was in the Air Force, so we moved around every three years until I finished high school. Oh. And I kept on moving around after that, but if somebody asked me where I'm from, planet Earth. So you're from planet Earth. Uh, yeah, moved all over. That's great. So when you went back home um, from after your mission, what were your plans? My plans, my plans after I got home from my mission, 
my patriarchal blessing was a big deal to me. So uh, I, my mission was challenging in a lot of ways and I lost what felt like lost faith as a missionary, like stopped believing in Christ, stopped believing in faith, didn't believe in the spirit. It was a real roller coaster and went from ground zero of not believing to then building up and having my own like independent roots with God form. So um, as part of that process, like before my mission, my patriarchal blessing had been just like everything to me. Like it was so special. It was this beautiful glimpse into life. And then, you know, then stopped believing it completely along with anything else that had to do with faith. And then, you know, as I was a missionary and was slowly growing again in faith, uh, my patriarchal blessing meant more to me again. So the culture of a mission and my mission present meant that my plans after I was getting home from my mission was to just get married very quickly, uh, assuming it would happen within the first year. And in going to BYU, um, my other plans were just to, to look into different areas with studies to find out, you know, what would be a good fit, good fits and good natural connection so that I could be effective and using my strengths and talents in life and in employment. That was my plan. For those that don't know what a patriarchal blessing is, maybe you could explain a little bit about what that is. Yeah. uh, A patriarchal blessing to a Mormon is a specific blessing. And a blessing is where you have hands laid on your head and someone who has special authority from God um, gives you a blessing. That's what a blessing is in general. And they're used for healings and comfort. And there's lots of different things. Uh, but a patriarchal blessing is a very specific and special blessing that happens one time in somebody's life where they're sort of able to get a prophecy into their future. And uh, there's a glimpse of what could happen in their life if they are faithful in following God and Christ. And they vary in what they look like for patriarchal blessings, but, but mine meant a lot to me. That's a great description. Mm -hmm. Getting home, you planned on studying at BYU. And then from there, you ended up in the USO. So how did that come to pass? How did that process start and what sort of led you down that path? And what is the USO? Okay, the USO is uh, the United Service Organizations. And it's a nonprofit that is there to support the military and to help service members have balance and resiliency and help them stay connected to their family and home and country. And so the USO follows the military. So uh, there are USO locations throughout the United States, but also throughout the world where there are locations. So in Germany, Italy, Japan, uh, but also in the Middle East. So there are USO facilities in deployed locations. And so a USO facility, they vary in what uh, they are, but often they have phones and computers and Wi-Fi, uh, which are just basic staples for helping service members connect with home. That might not seem like a big deal, but uh, in Afghanistan, for example, uh, when I got there, you know, some service members might've paid $120 a month to get Wi-Fi through uh, a service provider. So to have it offered for free, so that they could connect with loved ones um, was helpful to a lot of them. Um, And then there's also just other things that are provided for balance and resiliency. So there's video games and there's 
TVs and, and movies and uh, staff would put on events and uh, just different things to boost their morale and uh, to help lift them up and to support them. So um, how did I get into that? Uh, well, that starts with my sister. My sister, after law school, she moved back to California and took the bar. And while she was waiting to find out if she had passed, she found a job on Craigslist to join the USO in Baghdad and applied, got picked up and was in Baghdad when she found out that she did pass the bar. And, wow. uh, <laughs> and so I just remember hearing her, like listening to her stories. Like she was, there was my sister who I love and care about so much. And she was in Iraq and supporting service members. And, and, you know, I like would just see pictures of her, you know, totally sunburnt because it was hot over there. And, and she, I asked her one time, I was just like, what, you know, what's your favorite part about what you do? And she talked about this specific program where um, there was like a, a room set up and uh, there's children's books and service members would come and take a children's book and go into the room and there's a camcorder and they would record themselves reading the book. And then the USO would send the book and the SD card recording home to their families for them. And so it was just uh, this, this experience that connected the service member with their little loved ones. And then it connected the little loved ones with their deployed loved one. And um, I just remember hearing about those stories and I was just like, that is so cool. Even though it was such a simple thing, it was just um, you know uniting families and supporting them in, in difficult times. And so I hearing my sister and her experiences and combining that with, um, there were some other reasons why I, I wanted to be part of the USO. Um, I thought it would be cool to live in the Middle East. I, I also was looking very heavily into military chaplaincy. And military chaplaincy is a unique thing for a member of the church because uh, within the LDS church, it's a lay ministry. So we don't pay our, our local leaders. So a bishop or stake president is unpaid and they have a day job. And um, because we have an unpaid ministry, there are not opportunities for people to just choose to, to work for the church in a religious way. Somebody might work at church headquarters, you know, in, in like for a magazine or something, but, but there's not opportunities to preach um, uh, and get paid to do that. It is different for, you know, apostles and all that, but that's after years and years, decades and decades within the church. And that's completely different. So, um, so anyway, I think that being a missionary taught me that I loved teaching and that the dynamic of, you know, an intimate setting one-on-one, it just was natural for me that I was comfortable in it, that I enjoyed it. And so the chaplaincy is an interesting thing, but wherein for like another church, somebody might go in and be a pastor uh, and get paid and that could be their full time. Uh, but when you're LDS, you know, you can have callings in the church, but the chaplaincy provided an opportunity for members of all faith groups to come and be within the military and to minister within the military setting and to get paid for it. So there are chaplains that are paid by the military, but they're endorsed by their faith group. So there are LDS chaplains who are endorsed by the church, but are working for the military and paid for by the military. 
And their role is to lift and love is, is really what they do. They, they just have the full-time role of going around and supporting service members and making sure that, that they're doing okay. They, they also have specific responsibilities, like they're, they have the responsibility to make sure that service members are able to practice their faith freely. But, but a big part of what they do is just ministering. They look for those that need support and they lift them, regardless of whether they are their own religious background. Uh, they, they love and support and counsel. Um, and then often there are opportunities to actually lead faith services as well in deployed settings or, or back home. That's a little different for LDS because of how the church is set up and we have lay ministry. So uh, in a deployed setting, an LDS group has a group leader and it's self-sustained. And so there's not actually a chaplain needed for leading an LDS service. So an LDS chaplain is just in a role specifically to, to support all service members. And so, so that was interesting to me because I had studied about chaplains. I, I loved it in theory. I just thought that this is more exposure to it. And when you're not in the military, it's hard to shadow the military because they're gated and they have, you know, they're on base. And so you can't just say, Hey, can I go on base and see what a chaplain does? Because one, you're not going to get on a base. And two, you wouldn't be allowed within the intimacy of like a counseling setting anyway, because that's private. And so um, so I knew that going to a deployed location with the USO, which I thought was independently awesome, would also allow me to <laughs> remove ba- remove boundaries between me and chaplains. So I would be able to see them. I'd be able to see what they're doing. I would be able to just interact with them freely. And that would allow me to have more exposure to that. And it would also allow me to see what it was like being in a de- deployed setting see how I handled being in deployed setting, see what it was like being around the military so that, so that I could still uh, get exposure to without committing to joining the military. um, If it, if it wasn't a good fit, because with the USO, I could peace out at any minute. And with the military, when you're in, you're in and you have to fulfill the remainder of your agreement or else there are very legal ramifications. So, so yeah, joining the USO was, something that allowed me to contribute into something that I thought was meaningful and was awesome on its own and also opportunity for exposure to something else that I thought uh, could be my future. So I have two questions. So you went in and you were mainly in the religious aspect of it. So the USO is, there's different branches of it. Could you say like there's a religious branch, there's a, um, Technolo- technological branch where the families can communicate. There's, is that what it's like? Okay. So I, I apologize. I may have um, just mixed. It might've been confusing because I was talking about chaplaincy. So there is nothing religious about the USO. Okay. Uh, the USO is a standalone organization, nonprofit, not connected to any religion. Uh, okay. Yeah. It doesn't endorse any religion. It's, it's just its own organization but uh, because of what the USO is, it's, it's unique in that it is invited to be on military bases and interact around service members. So okay. my being there allows, allowed me to be exposed and connected to the chaplains, to see them, but not actually be part of them, just to be around them for my own exposure and interest. Okay. And then my second question was, where were you exactly? That's not my question, but I just wanted to know. 
No, sure. That um, I was in Jalalabad, Afghanistan, which was and, Eastern Afghanistan. Okay. And um, you said you wanted to go to that place to see what it was like to see if you could. If you could yeah, hack so, it or if you liked it. Or if, if you liked it, it, yeah. Like how how did it fit with what you were looking for or did it? Yeah. So, so because when you're in the military, if somebody goes into military, then they have to take whatever comes with that. So like they may be deployed with the military and that's just their life. It's not their choice. And so I wanted to see, you know, how do I handle it? How do I handle being in a deployed setting and can I handle it? And I'd rather find out without having to be in the military and it being like a traumatizing thing. Cause I can't leave. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I, it, I was able to do it. I mean, <laughs> I don't, I not to sound cocky. Like, yes, I, it, it was something that I could do again, definitely if needed. That's, that's something that I think is, it really exemplifies you in your personality, because I feel like a lot of people who were interested in you know, the military or the chaplaincy would like watch a YouTube video on it, you know, <laughs> to get an idea or to like read a book on it. But you're like, I think probably the best way to do it is to join the USO so I can just see it. And I think that really exemplifies you and you're just sort of your, the way that your mind works and, and the way that you value experience. And I, and that's, that's one of the things that I think is helpful for people who are maybe you know, trying to figure out, because obviously the part of the point of this podcast is helping people navigate their twenties and their thirties, which we're saying thirties because we plan on doing this through our thirties. Um, but the idea is, you know, I think a lot of us, especially nowadays, we get all of our information from the internet and we don't put as much value on just taking leaps of faith and just doing something and letting it be okay that it's not the thing we're going to do for the rest of our lives. And I think the the thing that I've always admired about you is you never, you never felt like if I do this, I have to stick with it for the rest of my life. You're just okay with, you know, what, I want to try this and I'll see where that takes me. And then that opens doors for you and you just do something else. And then it kind of, you let yourself be led as opposed to having to see the end from the beginning. And, and I think that's, that's valuable experience. So if you have anything to add on kind of what, what helped you reach that philosophy or how you why you are the way that you are. Um, love to hear more about that. Yeah. Well, a couple of thoughts to that one, you know, it's, I get frustrated when I get too attached to an idea because it's not that I don't have some ambitions that I want really bad, but if I get too stuck on something, sometimes it's just not the way, you know, that, and things don't always happen like we expect. And an example was I really wanted to go to the Jerusalem center. There was a study abroad program at the BYU Jerusalem center. And I thought that it would just be awesome, life-changing. And I imagine that it would have been, but it didn't happen. And, and that's okay. And the thing is that having aspirations is good. And it's good to be driven, but when things don't happen, just like we expect, that's also okay. And life has a million different paths that are beautiful. And just like the sun just spreads its rays in all directions, there's light and beauty everywhere. And when I think just more tunnel minded that there's just 
this one path and I get too attached to it, it can just get really frustrating. And, and it's just, I think there's just a lot of beautiful opportunity and there will always be beautiful opportunity. Yes. So that's part of it is just trying to be open because there, there's just always more. And then the other part, I think is just my nature. Uh, I, you know, I was an air force brat. So I being a kid of an air force officer, we moved around every three years and I don't, you know, I can't really dissect and say, is that why I am the way I am? Or is that maybe just something that connected with my personality as well? Uh, but I like variety in life. I like change. Change to me is refreshing and enjoyable, even though it's chaotic and frustrating. And sometimes I don't want it, but ultimately it's just like healthy for me. Yeah. I, th- I think that there are sometimes just like rules that people make in their lives that they think are just these defining rules, but they are walls that people have built themselves and they've put themselves, not to say they're in a box, but they have made those walls. And I just feel like we are free. So it's just like, I, I don't know. I've met a lot of people that, you know, they go off to college and then when they're done with college, they go back to where they were from. And then they feel like they have to find a job that's within some radius to where they are from. And sure. I, am in a different circumstance because I don't have any singular place in my life that it's just like, I've been there most of my life, but I've never felt like I had to be in a specific geographical location. It was more just open to possibility. And as well as like you were talking about, I do want to be led and I'm willing to move. And so it just allows for different geographical variety. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I think that's, a pretty unique way of thinking. I heard this one thing. It was on TikTok. Uh, don't don't make fun of me. But it was on TikTok, and um, she was saying, "I'm totally gonna botch this, and it's gonna sound dumb, and whatever, whatever." whatever. <laughs> but she was saying, like most people, like the the normal way of going about life is. Like what's going to make me money? You know, people think about what's going to make me money when we should, or we could be thinking about, okay, well, what's, what life do I want to live? And then following the path to that of like, what what life do I want to live instead of how do I make money? You know, because I feel like we're not going to find true happiness when we're just searching for money instead of we should be searching for life experience and it's just, it feels backwards. Yeah. I think that's, that's part of the looking for money or having money be sort of that tunnel vision is those walls that you were talking about, Karsten. Like that's, I think those are the things that construct the walls is that, that focus instead of, you know, designing a life. Yeah, no good. And I, ideally, you know, we can find, options that because everything in life is a balance so ideally we can find things that do meet a level that we are happy with financially but also appeal in other ways and and i think that you know sometimes as americans we don't think more open-mindedly but the reality is with an american passport like we are one of the most free peoples in the world and there are opportunities internationally in any country for an American to work. 
uh, if the military, if the U.S. military is there, then that means that there are jobs that are there that are not U.S. military that are supported by other U.S. people. If the military is not there, then there's still other things that are there, whether it's with the Peace Corps or there are other, although fewer positions, there are other organizations that are also there that are organizations that have U.S. employees. So, so there are just opportunities to go and to live abroad and still provide financially. And often there are other financial benefits. Like for me, as a U.S. citizen working in the Middle East, I was taxed differently. So I was taxed less uh, because I was living abroad. So, so it's not that I had to be earning more but because I was taxed less and also was able to live on a military base and eat at a military dining facility, the typical expenses were gone. So that, in my opinion, that's definitely geared towards a single person, not to say it's only single people that are working deployed settings, not at all. There's a ton of married people, but uh, there's a lot of ways that expenses are cut. And so somebody can just save a lot more as well. So uh, there's, just, there's just a lot of opportunities globally um, if, if people are interested in those experiences. Yeah. And when I was in college, um, I really wanted to live abroad too, but I didn't have the, the financial backing to do it. So I found a way to where I could nanny and I could be housed and they would pay me very, very little, but I was still housed. They fed me and I was abroad, you know, like, if you look for it, you can find it. Like you said, we build our own walls. If we're constantly like, oh, that's that's not possible. Like I can't do that without any research or like just like opening our minds up to the possibilities of actually doing something like that. Like we're not going to find it. Absolutely. Where did you nanny? I nannied in Italy. Ah, I love Italy. Yeah, Where? me too. Um, Vicchio? Vicio. Where is um, that? It's like 40 minutes. Was I north or south? I heard you forgot. It was like four years ago. I think it was north of Florence. Nice. About 40 minute train ride. That's awesome. Yeah. It was a really, really good experience. It was really hard because I had no, like just hopping into a parent role is, is really difficult. Anyway, off topic. <laughs> Allora. Um, did they say Allora. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, my cousin and I did like a ravioli making class and, and that was the word that the teacher kept on saying. Allora. 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 <laughs> I would say um, pasta. I said that a lot. Stop. Because <laughs> 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 when the kids were acting out and the, it was so funny. This is off topic again, but the first time I said it, they both looked at me like, what? Like she understands Italian <laughs> and then they quickly learned that that was the only word I knew. <laughs> and they're like, we're just going to keep speaking Italian. So you don't understand what we're saying. <laughs> but good anyway. word to know though. Yeah. yeah. Pasta. For, for one, it's good for one jolt. One jolt. <laughs> so, so that kind of brings us to the next question of obviously you were there three and a half years or three years, three and a half, three and a half years. I imagine you faced some challenges there. Maybe walk us through sort of what were some of the biggest challenges or things that you maybe didn't expect to be challenging that were, 
I don't know, maybe things that you did expect to be challenging that weren't um, just from the experience. Yeah, the, I think the first challenge for me was just culture shock. Uh, I went from beautiful sunrays and daisies of BYU, Idaho to, to a deployed setting in Afghanistan with the army. And it was just, I think the perfect just way to describe it is that when I was at BYU, Idaho, like my first day on campus, I, you know, was just walking and somebody detected that I was looking around and they said, do you need help finding somewhere? And I said, this is what I'm looking for. And then they proceeded to walk me 10 minutes across campus to this building. And that was very cool of them. And then the first week in Afghanistan in a deployed setting, it was just like when you are outside of a building and you're just walking in between locations, people like don't make eye contact. They don't say hello to each other. It was just like this. Which is complete thing. opposite of BYUI. Complete opposite. Like, Completely. So, so it, you know, with the military, there's um, just a phrase, it's operational security, which means that they don't want any information that uh, is important to be leaked. So like an example is uh, when is a flight happening? They don't want movement to be leaked because it could be a threat. They could be then in threat if um, that information is in bad hands. And so some people to push it too far and it just becomes a culture of you only give information to the correct people that need information. And so it's just like, you know, there's, there removes the courtesies and the beauty. Thus comes into play the USO that I was part of that, you know, they, we had the role of, of boosting that morale and you better bet as soon as they come in those doors, like they got to, Hey, how are you? And, you know, I still have still, still for sure been more of a positive influence when I was out and about, but I think in some ways I, I just assimilated and I was just like, okay, this is intense and I'll just, you know, not be too cheerful in this setting when I'm outside the building. So. Which I, uh, I, I imagine was hard for you because you're a very cheerful person. Uh, yeah. It, it, there were challenges there for sure. But inside the building, you know, I always, there was no holding back. It was just, just morale. So, so I think the culture was uh, probably a challenge at first, just becoming part of it. And then another challenge, which I did anticipate was, was just loneliness. Like, even though I was in a role that was boosting morale and had plenty of interaction it was all work still and when I wasn't at work you know there wasn't like a separate morale facility that I would go to so there wasn't like another hangout spot so it's like that was the hangout spot so it's like either I could stay at work or I could leave and when I leave there's just not like um another place like that so yeah it was just different and then with family and friends that are back home you know there's a very big time difference and so it's easier to connect with loved ones when you're one or two hours time difference, because, you know, it's just, it's not too far different, but when you're completely on the other side of the world, then you just have to be very intentional because either you're waking up or, or going to bed to catch them at the time when they're either waking up or going into bed when this time overlaps, because you're sleeping during the most of their main day. And I think, you know, it's just easier when you're near family that just it's easier to be on each other's rhythm and connect. And so I think that distance just made it harder as well. Just, yeah, you just had to be super, super intentional 
to connect and you need to connect because you're far away. Was that the first experience you had abroad? Uh, no. So we lived in Germany when I was actually born in Germany. And then we lived there again when I was, uh, you know, something like nine to 12. So I've, I've okay. lived abroad like, yeah, like 10 years of my life. Okay. So, so this was the first trip outside of your mission though. And my mission was in Oregon. Uh, but this was the first, I mean, I had lived, I, I left home when I was 17 and I, you know, was been out of the home since then. This was the first time that I had worked internationally. I had done, you know, vacationing and vacationing without family for sure. But uh, this is the first time, yeah, working abroad. I want to know more about, because we've had conversations about your effect with, or, or, or the effect that you felt like you had, or the impact, I should say, that you felt like you had for the troops. Um, where you kind of waxed and waned there where you, at times you felt like, I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but maybe go over a little bit more about like what you did for the troops, maybe a little bit more about the, the events and then yeah, how you viewed that at different stages. At the end of the three and a half years, I got burnt out. And that was when I was uh, just like questioning, like why, and it was actually in Italy that I just had like a, a you know, it dawned on me that it was just like, time to no longer be in Afghanistan. And it, it just hit me and I just knew. And so like within 24 hours, I emailed my regional vice president and was just like, just so you're aware, I'm, I'm applying for other jobs. So she ended up prevailing on me to uh, take another job within the region. And so I, whereas when I was in Afghanistan, the, the position that I was in was called center, center manager. So I was leading this facility that was providing the morale and these other services to all the service members on that base, as well as other service members that would come through the base. And then um, the new position that I took was based out of Abu Dhabi and it was a traveling position. And so essentially while there are these USO facilities that service members will just refer to them as the USO, let's say we're going to the USO. Um, there were these USO facilities at different like key locations in the region, like Kuwait, Iraq, um, there's one in Djibouti, but there are also lots of bases that didn't have a USO facility. Maybe there were locations that had service members, but our operation wasn't there. And so there was a new position that opened. It was called Expeditionary Operations and Programs Manager. And essentially it was, in a nutshell, it's taking the USO mission and getting it to service members that don't have one of these USO facilities. So bringing it to them. And so that role then had me traveling. So I was just going all over the region. So within the year that I was in that, I was in Saudi Arabia, Syria, uh, Somalia, Kenya, Djibouti, as well as other locations where we had the service members and, and, and facilities. So it was, you know, Afghanistan, Kuwait, UAE, Jordan. So basically when I was burnt out though, this is coming back to you, Justin, when I was burnt out in Afghanistan, I, I was just, I began questioning like, what, what am I doing here? What, like, is it really in terms of effective altruism, is this the most good that I could be going doing? 
like here we might be doing like a karaoke night one night and service members are just you know singing with no alcohol you know downrange afghanistan and just singing or another night we might be doing bingo and you know maybe we buy three hundred dollars worth of prizes and we have bingo cards and we the service members loved bingo and anyway you know we'd be giving out these prizes and i was just questioning like is is giving these prizes out to military is this like is this how important is this for me to be doing this or or would it be more effective if i was part of some organization you know somewhere sub-saharan africa you know who knows just like helping people that are are struggling in different ways like are there other needs that are more important that i could be applying myself towards and so i i ended up still accepting the expeditionary position sort of as a step of faith choosing to stay with the organization even though i was questioning like if i could be doing other things that were more important and when i got to abu dhabi we had a a conference it was just a regional leadership conference and you know i felt though like like god had led me in accepting that position with the expeditionary role um and i i also felt led i this is kind of coming back to this i felt led joining the uso in the first place like i knew that there was a lot of threat and danger and risk but i felt led in it and i felt like god was okay with it and i was okay with it and then i had multiple experiences that that reinforced to me like early on in my time in afghanistan that god had led me there and um an example and this is bringing it back to the mission actually um and once again as a side note the uso is not religious in any way uh but as i was on the flight to afghanistan i just had the thought you know that this was going to be a little bit like my mission and and then after i got to my assigned location um within within a couple of weeks uh there was a volunteer that was helping that had asked me about about the church and um it was just kind of funny he like his his mother had been raised mennonite so his grandparents were mennonite and you know in terms of just like uniqueness the, the population of mennonites in the united states is, and in the world is much smaller than of lds so they're much less common anyway when i i told this service member that i was mormon and he gave me a look that was just like 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 that's weird look so i asked him i you know i called him out on his nonverbals i said do you think it's weird that i'm mormon <laughs> and he, he was like well to be honest yeah <laughs> so, and so i i didn't say oh really you come from mennonites and you think it's weird that i'm more you know i didn't say that instead i said okay well we're nicknamed mormons because of a book called the book of mormon it's not the bible but it teaches about christ like the bible does mormons love the bible and the book of mormon and they're different and this is i gave him like a 15 second spiel about what it was and i was like i, I won't be preachy uh, but but this is what it is yeah Welcome to ask me if you ever have questions. So the next day he was like, yeah, I was talking to my mom and she told me that it was the Mormon Bible, but I corrected her. And uh and so then then like, you know, a week after that it was my birthday and 
my boss at the time had had told the service member she was like she was like get Carson out of the USO so we can surprise him for his birthday. Well, he completely missed the mark. He he like my boss and the base commander, everybody was there. You know, we had this little birthday thing, had cake and blew out the candles. Like two hours later, the service members comes, you know, trotting in. He's like, you know, he comes to distract me and get me out of the side of the USO thinking that that's going to help with the birthday celebration. Like I said, two, two hours after it's happened. And the way he does it is like saying, Hey, can you, can you tell me about the book of Mormon? <laughs> and so I was, and so I was just like, "Hey, you know, to my boss, can I, can I, go talk to him?" And she was like, "Sure." So we go, and you know, we have an hour-long conversation. I'm just, you know, flipping through the Book of Mormon pictures at the front, telling him what it is, and that was it. Like after that, he he started learning. He was like Justin, you know, somebody that wanted to. Uh, I, I don't know what happened, you know, everything in this young man's heart and mind, but he began wanting to learn more. And so I began teaching him about the gospel and then he gained a testimony. So he, he had unique experiences of his own that he started to believe that the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was, was true and was, was real and and that the book of mormon was also the word of god like the bible is and so he he you know developed this conviction to the point that he wanted to get baptized even though he was mid-deployment in afghanistan and wanted to get baptized and so we had to you know have the group leader contact the branch president in kabul contacted church headquarters and had to get approval from you know the Corman's 12 apostles and got approval and we built a font and um, I was able to uh, baptize him. And so uh, that happened. I mean, and the day that he chose to get baptized was exactly seven years to the day that my mission was over. So, so, well, five years that it was over seven years from the day it began. And so it was just like the timing was crazy. And that was the date that he chose. And that week was like super crazy because like we were being attacked by terrorists worse than any of the other times, the entire time that I was in Afghanistan. So they said, we said, you know, it was like they had us dialed in. That was a phrase that the military would say because their attacks, the rockets were, you know, consistent and getting just in difficult places that they were attacking. And so when this young man got baptized, you know, we, we were actually wearing body armor up until the actual act of baptism, because everybody on base had to be wearing body armor at all times um, because of the threat level that we were at. So, so, you know, when that experience happened though, that just here was this individual that wanted to learn about Christ and um, the timing, all of it, it just, for me very much was like, huh, I was supposed to be here. This, this reinforces that i was led or, you know, I felt led and this validated it. And there were other things too. But so then when I took the position in the UAE, I also felt like that was an act of faith, but there were then some experiences after I took the act of faith, like after I stepped, there were a couple experiences that felt like they were reinforcing, like that was correct. And so for me with those acts of faith, 
it's like, I don't know beforehand that it's God, but it's like, I believe that it's a good direction and my prayers are inviting him to lead me and I want to be led by him. So it's like, it's like my heart is in the right place and I stating to him that desire to be led and I'm doing what I think is the best option. And he hasn't directed me in otherwise. And then once I take the step, then it's just like, there's an experience that's like, yes, now it's confirmed. That was correct. So like, or here's something validating that. And so it's just like, when I stepped into that role in the UAE, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but when I stepped into that role in Abu Dhabi UAE, I then felt like, okay, well, I feel like God's confirming to me that this was good. So, so then I asked God, you know, if, if you are leading me in this, if you want me to be here, then please help me to understand why this organization and why this mission is important. Help me to understand because, you know, I'm questioning why, why not go be part of something in Africa? You know, why, why is this important? And, and then I just had, you know, a series of experiences over the course of a week where I, in the LDS church, there's something called the family proclamation, the I don't know how it is called. Proclamation. The family, the family proclamation pro- to the world. Yeah. Proclamation to the world. And you know, a key part of it is just that it that families are central to God's plan for the happiness of his children. And combining my awareness that families were important to God with the awareness that the gospel of Jesus Christ was restored in the United States, which makes you know, America, a special place because it's a place where God restored truth. And so, so here I have some facts, you know, America is special. Families are important. And also just combining that with other things that I was aware of that, that military families have a really hard time because of deployments and just because the military altogether, like it's not easy for families It's not easy for marriages. So there's a lot of divorce rates in deployed locations. Uh, Like it just happens. Like it's just hard. So basically it became, God just helped to impress it upon my mind that it was important to support service members because they were putting a lot on the line to support America. And America is worth supporting because on top of the good that I believe America does for the world and that America is part of and trying to support in the world. America also happens to be the place where the gospel was restored. So for me, it has personal significance because of just its role in the timeline of the earth and in God's plan. And so it's like, so it's like military to me is sacrificing sometimes risk of death, but they're also sacrificing being alone and away from family to support America. And to me, America is worth supporting. And so I, I ju- it just gave me like a renewed appreciation for the role because I felt like the organization that I was part of was actively supporting families. It was by, by having phones and computers and Wi-Fi, it actively helped couples to stay connected, which was good and healthy for their relationship. By putting on a bingo event, or a karaoke, it allowed a service member who was stressed from, from a day being a deployed to just have 60 minutes where they just chill out and relax and just have fun. And that allowed them 
to like have like a little mental reset and to have a little more balance. And with that balance, then they have more energy to then connect with their families and more energy to apply to their job. But also talking about the operational security thing, you know, one of the challenges with deployments and why they're hard on families and marriages is because a service member doesn't want to, they're not allowed to share any information that could be seen as compromising the mission. And because of that, they often err on the side of undersharing. And so, so they might feel like they can't talk about their job at all. And so here is this thing that they're focusing all their energy on during the day, and they can't talk to their main support person, their spouse about it, that they're just not talking about it. So that's a challenge because then the spouse at home is also going through the hardship of parenting or whatever else is happening in life without their spouse's support. And it's their stress and they want their deployed spouse to understand what they're going through. And so you have two people that are in a relationship that are sort of exhausted, maybe even burnt out, that don't have the full support from each other that they need or are used to. And the person in the deployed setting doesn't, can't share a lot of information with them. Plus they don't want to stress out their partner. So like, let's just say a service member had been in a firefight, meaning that they had shot their gun and, uh, you know, somebody else has been shooting at them. Well, they cannot talk to their spouse about that. They cannot say really hard. Yeah. They can't say, this is what happened to me today. Like I'm stressed. They, they just don't do that because they don't want to share the information from a operation security. And they also don't want to scare their spouse. And so it's just like this challenge to communication and, and your spouse is the person who is typically your main support. And it's just like challenging that relationship. And so you take that and you, then you think, okay, well, here's this bingo event. <laughs> like, ah, let's play bingo. And, and, and first of all, anytime I would lead a bingo event, I would start by saying, you know, to a room full of service members, like, you know, maybe there's 50, a hundred of you in this room and I only have 10 or 15 prizes here. So first of all, you're not each going to get one. And I'm sorry about that, but I want you to know that each one of these prizes, although it's, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a PS4 or maybe it's just the shaker bottle, whatever it is, like, just know that this prize represents love and support and gratitude from people back home. Because these prizes and the USO altogether is funded by donor dollars, which means that there are tons of people back home who are grateful to you and are aware of where you are and what you're doing and support you. And so this represents their support. So as these prizes are given, just know that it means that. And so then whether somebody wins a prize or not, they're having fun. And then at the end of it, they have something that they can connect with, with their loved ones about. They can, there's no question that there's no operational security issues with talking to your spouse about bingo that you played because you're at the USO. So, you know, or to your kids or, or whatever. And so it's just like, it just started clicking for me that the USO had this beautiful role in a niche way of fostering communication, of increasing resiliency and, and just directly supporting military families especially in deployed locations. And I, when it, when all those things like clicked for me, it just, um, it just, yeah, it reinvigorated me. And I just felt like it was a beautiful privilege to be part of it and uh, to support 
service members, to support families, and to support families that were sacrificing a lot to support America, and America is important to me. So that's how I got through burnout was tying it back into why is this important to me? You've shared that that story with me before, but I think it's it it's so important to understand because it it puts in context the importance of why. And I think a lot of us can get burnout in our lives with a lot of different, you know, whatever we happen to be doing for work or, you know, or, or you know, raising a family. And it can be easy to lose sight of those things. But if if you have a why, that's always to me been been the fuel that can keep you going. And so I like that you were able to tie it back to that and sort of reinvigorate your mission. We've talked about that path of returning home from your mission and immediately getting married or like soon after returning from your mission, getting married and starting a family. And that seems to be the stereotype of return missionaries. And obviously that was not the path that you chose to take. So we want to hear your advice to anyone who's young and just what you wish they could understand. If they're like fresh out of whatever it could be, fresh off a mission, fresh out of high school, I don't know, like any sort of milestone where life you would think begins, what advice would you give to them? Okay, so um, I don't actually know if I've shared this with you, Justin, or not. I think I have, I don't know. I'm sorry if I haven't. Actually, I'm not sorry, but I am mostly gay. Have I shared that with you, Justin? Mm. <laughs> Surprise on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's, you know, its whole own thing. Uh, you know, that I'm not going to let that overtake the rest of this time. But I think that for a lot of people, balancing faith in God, especially if they're part of a faith organization that does not support or encourage homosexual relationships. I think that for a lot of people that becomes a fork in the road. And what do I do? Do, and for a lot of people, authenticity falls on the side of pursuit of sexual orientation over other things. And for me in my life, while I do think it's important to be authentic to my sexual experience, and by that, I mean, it doesn't help me or anyone for me to deny what what is really happening in my heart or mind. And on the same note, I need to be authentic to other things in me that are very important as well, which includes my relationship with God. I need to be authentic to that. And what does that mean? So authenticity applies into a lot of areas of life. And there's just more to people. People are complicated. So that's definitely, you know, its own factor in my non-traditional path of being where I am. And I think that there are people who experience homosexuality who still get married to women quickly and are maybe not more open and authentic with others or with themselves about what they're experiencing. 
And maybe there are times that things work out fine. And I think that there are a lot of times that it doesn't. And not to say that it can't, but I think that homosexuality or things that are close to homosexuality, if there's a spectrum, that they require time and attention and effort and patience and just compartmentalizing and ignoring doesn't, as Elsa says, conceal, don't feel, don't let them see. Like that doesn't actually work for anyone. It's not Uh healthy. I think that the two, maybe three main things that I would say to young people or to people searching and pursuing life. One of them, I think I would say, turn to God and open your heart and mind to him. And this is not me just speaking to people who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is me speaking to other Christians, non-Christians, atheists, anyone, and especially to an atheist. I, I think that there's, you know, just this concept of a high focus on science and science being this distilled truth. Well, science is, science is done through experiments. And so if, if somebody is totally and openly and authentically searching for truth, I would invite them to try to open their heart and mind to the idea of, of God and praying to him. And that if they genuinely are open to truth, then doing whatever they can to try to open their heart to God, to experiment, to be a scientist in interacting with God and just to see what happens. Um, I personally have just the most beautiful moments in my life are all connected to God and to, to prayer and other experiences that have to do with me and him. And they are just like these gems in my life that are the most precious to me. And, and in a lot of ways, what they are, the anchors that I've built my life around is these things that have to do with me and God. And the second thing that I would say to people who are trying to discover their way, especially to those in America who are free in so many ways, I would say you don't need permission to live. And you don't, you don't need permission to do whatever you choose to do. Uh, we in life are free. We are free agents and there are a million choices to be made. And if somebody wants to be gay and to live a gay life and whatever that looks like, they don't need permission from anyone to do that. They don't need permission from their family. They don't need permission from church. They don't need permission from modern culture. If somebody wants to live abroad, if somebody wants to start a business, if somebody wants to do whatever it is, whether it is seen as cool or not, you just, you don't need to be given permission because you're already free. Because of that, the walls, the limits are only ultimately by you. Even if they feel influenced by others, they are you accepting others. Uh, You should strive, in my opinion, to pursue God and, and find his will, but then do what you think is good and don't live for what you think somebody else wants because you are the one that has to live with your decisions too. I love it. I think you have such a positive outlook and I think you just attract that into your life. 
just beauty, like the background of your, of your zoom. It's beautiful. <laughs> I took this photo a couple of days ago. Mahalo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and people don't know. I don't think we've said you're in Hawaii right now. I'm in Hawaii. Yep. Yeah. Out, outside Honolulu. Which was going to be our next question, which is where are you now or where have you gone since? And what, what's next for you, which is, so as a perfect. Yeah. Setting. So, um, so I got burnt out again in <laughs> the middle East. So it's just like, I got burnt out after Afghanistan and then I was in the UAE for a year and a half after that almost. And I got burnt out, but it happens to have been, you know, my five-year goal. My, I knew that my goal from the beginning with the USO was five years. And so I put in my, you know, my notice so that my last day would actually be five years to the day of when I ended. I ended up being there a little longer than that, but it was essentially five years to the dot. And so I happened to be exhausted at the end of that too. Like I had just been abroad for a long time and I was ready to just take a break. And so I did, which meant that first I went to my parents' place. They're living in Missouri now. I don't claim Missouri because I've never lived in Missouri, but you know, they're there. And I did nothing and it was so beautiful. Like seriously for three months, like my only responsibility was like to do the dishes. So like, it was so good. Like I did a road trip to Key West. I road tripped out to Utah for a couple of weeks and I just did nothing though. So it was just like, just chilling. And then I'm actually out here doing flight lessons uh, because I'm just doing a private pilot's license. And the reason for that is because I'm still interested in going into the military. I think that while I love the idea of being part of organizations that like help people, you know, better their life, I realize that the military also has a unique role in stopping bad people in the world. So if the military stops evil people, then that also uplifts nations. So I have a draw to be part of the military and potentially in the future to be a chaplain. I'm doing the lessons and I accepted a job offer half an hour before this call to work at a school. I'm going to work with children with disabilities. And that is just, you know, sort of a part-time thing that I just think would be fulfilling. And it actually mentions working with people with disabilities, like explicitly in my patriarchal blessing. So I was like, you know, I just need to do that at some point. So why not right now? So, yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's, it's so tough to live nowadays and to understand right from wrong and maybe not right from wrong, but there's so many cultural, I don't know how to put it, but there's so many, like, like the walls you were talking about, there's so many things that we just sort of accept. And I think there are a lot of people that just don't find themselves fitting within those walls. And I feel like, I, feel like it, I think it's so helpful for people to be able to come on or hopefully for people to be able to listen to this and see, okay, there's a, there's, like you said, the, your example of sunshine, like there's a million paths and we are free agents. And as long as we follow God, and we allow ourselves to be led, then, you know, any one of those paths can be beautiful and we don't have to, we don't have to have such tunnel vision. All right. Well, that's going to be the end of today's podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you find a ton of value and we'll see you guys in the next one.